0: Our scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 through 58. 1st Corinthians 15 50 through 58. If you're reading from the Red Pew Bible, it's found on page 962. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain
1: everybody wants to know that what they're doing counts We wanna know that our lives matter. We wanna know that what we've given our lives to makes a difference. Everybody wants that. I remember being in eighth grade algebra and a certain young lady frequently asked the question of the teacher, how am I ever gonna use this in real life? I kind of empathize with that young lady. How is this ever gonna make a difference if I know that X plus B equals whatever? But I'm making the sacrifice to learn this. Is it going to make a difference? And of a more consequential question, oftentimes when soldiers go into battle and give their lives for their cause, for their nation, the question is asked legitimately, why did these soldiers die? What cause did they give this ultimate sacrifice in favor of? Does it matter? Did their sacrifice make a difference? Of ultimate consequences, this question, when you come and live for Jesus Christ, when you decide to follow Him, does it make a difference what you do? Does your sacrifice and your investment and your time and your energy that's given to the Lord, does it matter? If you've already got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to look with me at verse 58, the passage that Tom read just a moment ago. In 1 Corinthians 15, the question is, will there be a resurrection of the dead? Are the dead going to rise one day? Will they ever see life again? And the answer is given from a number of different angles, a number of different logical reasonings. Absolutely, yes, there will be a resurrection of the dead one day. All of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. And then this conclusion in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The sermon title this morning is, Not in Vain. The word vain means empty, worthless, useless. You might never have, might as well not have done this. Back in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, the wise man Solomon wrote about life under the sun. He talked about being wealthy and wise and building magnificent structures and he said vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's all useless because I'm going to die one day. And whose will these things be that I've accumulated for myself? It's all empty. In the New Testament, the Bible says that some things can be empty. It says that our religion can be vain. James chapter 1, verse 26. If we think we're religious but we refuse to bridle our tongue, our religion is empty. The Bible says our prayers can be empty. Have you ever offered a prayer to God and then you stop and think, I've I've really not thought about what I just said to God? It's just like I'm on autopilot. Jesus warns about that. Don't make vain repetitions, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. The Bible talks about people in the church that were trying to stir up trouble by asking vain questions, empty questions, worthless questions, Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But of most consequence is the idea that our faith might be empty and vain. If you're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, you might look at verses 13 and 14. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 and 14, if there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, he says in verse 14, then our preaching is empty, vain, and your faith is also vain. In other words, brothers and sisters and friends, if this life is all you get, If there is no life after this one, if nobody rises from the dead, then we might as well all go home because what we're doing is empty and vain this morning. But I'll tell you this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, at the conclusion of this magnificent chapter, proving that there is a resurrection of the dead, that all the dead will rise one day. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is one of the great promises in all of scripture because it's telling you and me, don't give up. Don't give up on your service to the Lord and don't give up on loving other people because your labor in the Lord is not empty. It's not vain. It matters. Your life, your investment, your sacrifice for Jesus Christ matters. Three questions we're going to ask this morning in reference to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, this magnificent promise. As we think about, and by the way, this is one of those unseen things in the Bible. That's what we do by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. We've not yet seen the resurrection of the dead except for our Lord Jesus Christ, but we believe by faith that it's going to happen because we believe heroes. And we believe that as a consequence, we one day will rise again, and because of that, there is energy to keep on keeping on. There's energy to continue serving Jesus Christ. Let's ask three questions about First Corinthians 58, verse this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 this morning. Question number one is this: What kind of work does the Bible have in mind? If you're looking at the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, notice again what it says. Knowing that your labor in the Lord, the work of the Lord, is the kind of work that's not in vain. And we might ask a question just as Christians thinking about this, what is involved in the work of the Lord? What is it that we might do in service to God that He says is not in vain? A couple of suggestions I believe the Bible intends for us to understand that work that is the Lord's work is anything that we're doing to draw nearer to God. Anything that we're doing to draw nearer to God When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents left him. They didn't realize they'd left him, but they found him in the temple and he was asking questions and answering questions. And when they asked him, why are you here, Jesus? What are you doing? He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Investing in the work of the Lord is the implication. Luke chapter two, verses 47 through 49. On another occasion, a lady named Mary Instead of getting up and serving with her sister Martha, she sat at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said, She has chosen the better part. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. When you and I invest in drawing near to the Lord in prayer and in study and meditation of His Word, when we spend our time investing in praise of God and worship of God, when we gather together, it's not in vain, it's not empty because we're gonna live forever somewhere. Not only though is, is the work of the Lord that which draws nearer to God, it's also anything that we do to help others in the name of the Lord. There are many charitable people in the world, but very few people do what they do in the name of the Lord. As Christians, that's all we do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. And whatever we do because of Jesus, because we're His disciples, whatever we do is the work of the Lord. And God says it's not in vain. And think about what we might do to help others in the name of the Lord. We might be compassionate to someone else, someone in need. We might be kind and thoughtful to someone who is really suffering. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, there was a lady named Tabitha who had died. And after she died, all of the widows of the church gathered around and they were showing Peter the tunics that Tabitha Dorcas had made while she was alive. She had made a difference in those people's lives just by using her talents to glorify the Lord. You think about the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite passed by on the other side, but the good Samaritan stopped and he helped this man who had been beaten and left for dead. And he put him on his own animal and he carried him to a place where he could find medical attention and rest. And the good Samaritan did those things out of compassion. When we help others in the name of the Lord, it is not in vain. You know, sometimes, sometimes I know how some of you think, sometimes you think, well, what I'm doing is not much. It's not a big thing. I'd do it for anybody, you might say. I'm telling you, if you're doing it because you belong to the Lord, it counts, it matters. It's not in vain. By the way, even conflict resolution, even coming when two people are at odds with one another, even coming alongside them and helping them to resolve their differences, You might help others in the name of the Lord because you belong to Jesus and it's not in vain. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 urges a man in the church at Philippi to do just that. Come alongside these two ladies who are fighting and help them in their conflict. That which is done to help others in the name of the Lord. And then there's this. What kind of work is not in vain? That which is done to lift up Christ and his gospel. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Anything that we can do to lift up Jesus Christ, to praise his name, anything that we can do to get more of his gospel into people's hearing, into people's hearts is not in vain. It matters. You think about Philip when he went and found the Ethiopian nobleman on the road that he was was traveling on and Philip stopped and asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? It says in Acts chapter 8 verse 35 that he began at that very scripture and he preached unto him Jesus. He lifted up Christ and the gospel. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters and friends, one of the best places to lift up Christ and his gospel is in your home. One of the very best things that you can do, especially if you've got children living with you at home, one of the best things you can do is you can talk about Jesus Christ and his gospel at home. You are making an investment, hopefully for this life, but you are also making an investment with the conviction and the belief that we're going to be somewhere forever. It's not in vain. And even though people may not see the investment you're making, and even though nobody may ever pat you on the back or say, good job. You can know because of God's promise that that labor, that effort, it matters. It matters to God and it matters to his people. What kind of work? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever we do for the sake of Jesus Christ, it makes a difference, it matters. However big, however small. And we get caught up sometimes in the starstruck mentality. Look at all that that person does and look at all the many works that they're involved in. Jesus says, You let that person do what they're gonna do, and you serve me in whatever way you're able, with whatever opportunities you have. It matters, the work of the Lord. Second question this morning Why is this work not in vain? After all, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it says, Your labor, your, your work in the Lord, it's not in vain. Why not? Allow me to offer three suggestions. Number one, based on the context of 1 Corinthians 15, because of the promised resurrection of the dead. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, you'll find that the logic goes like this. In verse 20, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And Paul, going back even further in the chapter, Paul says, I've seen him. Others have seen him, he appeared to 500 people at once in one location. He has been seen by credible witnesses and you can find evidence by talking to those witnesses. He was telling the Corinthian church this was true. And because Jesus is risen of natural consequence then, logically all of the dead will one day rise. Jesus is, the Bible says, the first fruits, the firstborn among the dead. He's the one that because of his resurrection has guaranteed that everybody else who's ever died will one day return from the dead. And then the Bible says, well, you know, somebody might ask the question, what if, what if I'm still alive when Jesus returns? You know, what about me? What's going to happen to me? All these dead people are going to come back, but what about me if I'm still alive when the Lord returns? And that's the passage that Tom read just a moment ago, verses 50 through 56, The living, when the Lord returns, are going to instantly be changed into their resurrection bodies, the scripture teaches. All the dead will rise. The promised resurrection means that because we're going to be somewhere forever, that what we're doing in this life, it's not empty, it's not in vain. It's important for us to appreciate the logic that scripture uses. Because it's not as if God just comes alongside of us and pats us on the back and says, good job, keep it up. He says, I want you to continue and don't grow weary and be steadfast and be immovable. I want you to do these things because you know, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you're going to live forever. And Because that's true, this matters. What you're doing in this life matters. Second reason, why is it not in vain? Because the Bible teaches that God remembers the good we do. Nehemiah 13, verse 34, the way the book closes, Nehemiah prays this prayer. He says, remember me, O my God, for good. Remember the good that I've done, O God. Thinking about this even further, nothing we do in the Lord's service, brothers and sisters and friends, is wasted or lost. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God will bring every work into the light of scrutiny uh, scrutiny in in the judgment. Everything, both good and evil, God remembers it all. He knows it all. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is lost. Take your Bible, if you've got your Bible with you. Take it and open it up to Matthew 25 for just a minute. Matthew chapter 25 It's important for us to stop and appreciate some of the implications of what the Lord teaches in the shadow of the cross. In Matthew 25, right before he goes to the cross and then would later ascend into heaven to the right hand of his father, he talks about being ready when he returns. And notice if you would in Matthew 25, it's a picture of the judgment. And Jesus says, I, the king will be there at the judgment day. And I'm going to say this Look at Matthew 25, verse 34. I'm going to say this, Matthew 25, 34, to those on my right hand. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for, this is Jesus talking now to you, to me, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And I love the response in verse 37 of the righteous. The righteous look at Jesus and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison uh, and do any of these things that come to you? And the king will answer them, verse 40, and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus takes your actions personally. If you have an opportunity to bless somebody, to encourage somebody, to help somebody, you're not just encouraging or blessing or helping that one person. You are blessing and encouraging and helping the Lord himself. That's how he receives it. Isn't that an encouraging thought? Whether anybody ever says thank you, or whether anybody ever recognizes what you've done, or whether anybody ever even acknowledges that you've been a servant to somebody else that Jesus knows and remembers. And I believe the implication of what you read in Matthew 25 is this, a lot of the good that you've done, you're going to forget about, but the Lord doesn't. A lot of the things that you've done in serving others for the sake of the Lord, you're going to think, you know, I I just did that and I'm going to go on because that's who I want to be and that's the kind of servant I want to be. And God doesn't forget any of those things. It's not in vain. And here's the really neat thing about being in heaven, I believe. In heaven, we're going to be in the very presence of Almighty God. And we're going to be able to sing his praises forever. And I believe one of the joys of heaven is going to be all of us getting to talk about all the many ways that God's grace was able to be manifested in so many people's lives and we never knew about it, but on that side in eternity, we can talk about it. And we can talk about how great our God is. It's not how great a servant we are, it's about how great he is and how he showed us the way and how we could do these things and forget about them and then they're brought to light once again. I believe one of the great joys of heaven is gonna be that, talking about how good and gracious and merciful and compassionate our God is. And Jesus says, and as much as you've done this to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. It's encouragement to continue in your work in the Lord. Third question this morning, what must we do? If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, there are some imperatives. There are some things for us to think about. Number one, we are to hold on, hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, brethren, be steadfast and be immovable. Do you know there is a temptation for Christians in every generation to be kind of waffly when it comes to their faith? I'm not really sure. I'm just waffled back and forth, kind of blown about by the wind. Do I really believe these things are true? Do I really believe I'm going to be somewhere forever? If so, does that make a difference in how I live? Hold on to the gospel of Christ. We're not going to be moved by false teaching, by false teachers. That was what was happening in 1 Corinthians 15. There was a church that existed in a place called Corinth 2,000 years ago, and some of the members of the church, when they stood up to teach Bible class, they proudly said, there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Paul got it wrong. He told you the wrong thing when he said that we're going to rise from the dead one day. We're just living this life, and when you die, you're just going to return to dust, and that's all that's left of you. Paul says, don't be moved from the gospel by that kind of teaching. You don't let what somebody else says change what you believe and know to be right, according to the gospel. Don't be moved by temptations. The temptation to fit in, the temptation to align with somebody else, the temptation to do what I want to do instead of what the Lord wants me to do. Don't be moved by weariness. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 is appropriate here, where it says, Do not be weary in doing good. Because in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The people of God more than ever before need to hold on to promises like that. Your labor's not in vain. Don't grow weary in well doing, don't become tired and fatigued. Incidentally, The Bible's remedy for weariness, physical weariness, is rest. The Bible's remedy for spiritual weariness, listen, for spiritual weariness, the Bible's remedy is to hold on to the promises of God. You go back to those promises and you claim those promises, I'm going to be somewhere forever and I'm going to be with the Lord, most importantly. Or in due season I shall reap if I do not lose heart, Galatians 6 verse 9. You hold on to those promises, remedy for spiritual weariness. We're not even going to be moved by persecution. Somebody comes along and you're serving the Lord, you're trying to lift up Christ and his gospel, and they say, you need to stop that. Don't do that anymore or dot, dot, dot. Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Even in the face of persecution, You be steadfast, you be immovable, you hold on to the promises of the gospel. Knowing, knowing with a confidence that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Secondly, what must we do? We must seize the opportunities that are offered by God. And that's found in that expression, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The word abound has to do with a river overflowing its banks, with a lake that gets so full that it just can't contain itself and, and it breaks through a levee, it breaks through a place and, and overflows. And the Bible says you be like that. When it comes to the Lord's work, we're not just sprinkling a little bit here and there, but we are abounding in the work of the Lord. Brothers and sisters and friends, open your eyes. Every one of us has abundant opportunities to serve Jesus Christ every day. What must we do in order to claim this, to seize opportunities offered by God? We got to get over despising the day of small things, Zechariah 4 verse 10. They were rebuilding the temple in Zechariah understood that people were kind of upset because the new temple was not as good as the old temple. You know, the old temple had been built by Solomon. and It was, you know, gold and silver everywhere. It was ornate. And they, they were building a temple, yes, but it certainly wasn't to the glory and splendor of what they saw before. And the prophet Zechariah says, you stop despising the day of small things, people of God. If you're working in the Lord's service, there's nothing that's small. There's nothing that's insignificant. I don't know about you, I like seeing the young men, the the young boys coming up and down the aisles collecting the cards. One of the things we're doing for the Lord's sake is we're trying to encourage those young boys to know that they have a place among the people of God, to know that there is a a way in which they can help and serve and bless other people even at their age. And we believe with all of our hearts that that's going to invest, that, that investment's going to give dividends for later, but we also believe that doing these kinds of things, even though they may seem small, they matter. The people of God believe things like that. See the potential in the midst of challenges. Ours is a challenging day. Everybody is concerned about things that are happening around us in the world and our nation and a lot of places. We're all concerned, but I believe. This may be since the first century, this right now may be the time of the greatest opportunity to serve the Lord that's ever come in the past 2,000 years for the people of God. The greatest opportunities are available to us if we'll open our eyes and open our hearts and see how we can serve Jesus Christ even better. I believe the opportunity is tremendous for us. First Corinthians sixteen nine: a great and effectual door is open to me and there are many adversaries. When you see many adversaries, you need to be looking for a great and effectual door of opportunity. What must we do? We must remember brothers and sisters that life is not about stuff. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's not about how big your bank account is and it's not about about how big your house is or how comfortable your car is. It's not those things. That's all just fluff. That really is vain. The things that matter are two, serving God and blessing other people. On those two things hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to open our eyes and see opportunities to do those things and invest in those things. And if God happens to bless us with physical, material abundance, so be it. But if he doesn't bless us, we're still going to hold on to that promise. That no matter what happens, we're going to love him. And we're going to serve other people with all of our hearts. Because that's what he calls us to be. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Take the encouragement that God's Word gives and put it into practice in your life. If we can help you to obey the Gospel this morning through faith in Christ, confession of His name, repentance of your sin, and baptism, you can become a New Testament Christian. We are lost in our sins until we are immersed in water with Christ for the remission of our sins. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if you'd like to respond and to ask for prayer, whatever your need, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.